gifts. Debbie, has everybody turned in their shoebox gift? No, they turned in. We'll take them this week. Even Wednesday, I'll come by. Okay. So if you... If you didn't bring it this morning, get it here by Wednesday, and we'll do that. We're in the book of Exodus chapter 32. We've been through verse 14, but in verse 14 we have God relenting from harm that he purposed towards Israel, supposedly because Moses has interceded for Israel. Moses, a great leader of Israel, standing in the gap between God and man on behalf of the people. In Numbers twenty three nineteen, though, God declares he is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent, or in this case, relent. So what we have in verse 14 is Scripture speaking, you ready for this one? Anthropomorphic. Huh? <laughs> That's what I said when I looked at it. And all that means is it's terms that are used, words that are used, ascribing human traits to God. And it's all done for man's understanding. Moses, by interceding, for Israel is doing exactly what the Spirit of God desires. God is wanting to show mercy and grace because our Lord is full of mercy and grace. And as his children, we are the ones that benefit greatly from grace. It's amazing to me how we can be so forgiving of ourselves but just a little too critical of our fellow man or our other brothers and sisters in Christ. So be forgiving, be like God. Exodus 32, we'll look at verses 15 through 24 here. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides. On the one side and on the other, they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of the defeated, but the sound of singing I hear. So it was as soon as he came near to camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot. And he cast the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf which they had made, burned it in the fire, ground it to powder, and he scattered it on the water, and he made the children of Israel drink it. Mm. <laughs> and Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? And so Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people, that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods that shall go before us. As for Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, 
Whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me. I cast it into the fire, and this calf came out. Quite a story. (laughs) The two tablets of stone written by the hand of God. They're instructions for man how to live life. And Moses carries these tablets in his hands. Now, this is not like... uh, one of the little tablets we call uh, a little computer tablet type or notebook or anything. These are cumbersome tablets, stone tablets. So God engraved. God wrote these on the tablets, and that's good to know. But how about the Bible? We have the Bible before us, and we hopefully are in the Bible, in the Scriptures, on a day-to-day basis. And even some of the scriptures, some of you carry laptops or, you know, little phones that can give you the scriptures. Speaking of the scriptures, there are a lot of good translations of the Bible out there. But you have to be a little careful because there's so many translations out there. And you have to be a little careful which version, which translation you use. Uh, There are some good ones. We use the New King James Version. I I simply prefer that. I happen to think it's probably one of the more accurate translations. Uh, I shy away, and I'll I'll just say this openly, from the NIV. NIV means nearly inspired version. Actually, the NIV is a paraphrase. It is not an exact translation because whoever translated it wants you to have their understanding of scriptures, so they paraphrase it. And let me come to my own conclusions. But uh, uh, so I prefer the New King James, but there are other good translations out there. In 2 Timothy 3 16 and 17, Uh, Paul writes, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture given by the inspiration of God. We can rest assured that God has written the Bible, and he's written it to equip us for what? For good works. God wants us to be busy about his kingdom. And so he's wrote the scriptures, given to us for us to be about good works. Peter, in his epistle, tells us scripture is not a private book. Uh, It's for all of us. Not a book by the will of man of the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible is the only, the only book I read and absorb completely. I read commentaries and I go, all right, where's this guy coming from? What's his slant? What's his angle? What's his doctrine background? And I read it in that context. But the scriptures, we can just pick up and enjoy them and relish the time we have in scriptures. 
But back to Moses and Joshua. They're coming down from the mountain. They've been up there with God. They approach the camp of Israel, and they hear a great noise. It's an unusual noise. It's not the... A sound of war. Israel isn't being attacked. It's not a sound of victory. It's not a sound of defeat. But the people are singing. A few years back, Lori and I were privileged to go to Israel. And we're staying at one of the kibbutz that happened to be on the shores of Lake Galilee. I'm up early this this one morning, and I hear singing down by the water. I recognize the tune, but the language is totally foreign to me. And there on the shores of Lake Galilee was a group of Korean Christians. And they're singing, How Great Thou Art. I recognized the tune, but I did not understand one word. (laughs) And it was good because it became one of those never forget moments as I heard people from a different area of the world worshiping God, and that was good. Moses and Joshua, they come down from the mountain, and they come upon the camp of Israel, and for them it's a never forget moment. And as as they come around the corner, as they top the hill, what they see is devastating to them. They see a golden calf and the children of Israel, they're dancing around it. Probably not too many clothes on, okay? (laughs) Because in the original language, it indicates that there is open sexual activity going on. It's an orgy that Moses and Joshua walk into. Moses, he loses his temper. His anger, as the scripture said, it becomes hot. And he throws down the tablets of stone written by the hand of God, and he breaks them. And in his anger, Moses burns this golden calf with fire, melts it down basically, grinds it to powder, scatters it on the water, and then he forces the children of Israel to drink it. And nobody says no. (laughs) because his anger burned hot. Now, Moses has a question for Aaron in verse 21. And I like this question. What did the people do to you, Aaron, that you have brought such a great sin upon Israel? There are sins that are not what we would call so grievous. But this is a great sin. There is a distinction here. This is a great sin. And Aaron, fearing Moses, he pleads with him, don't be so angry with me, Moses. You know these people. And that they are set on evil. Point. When a leader follows the will of the people, it can be disastrous. It's not always good. The majority is not always right. A leader is to lead. And Aaron, he continues, I threw their gold into the fire, and voila, 
out came a golden calf. But we read earlier how Aaron fashioned this golden calf. And this is perhaps one of the most feeble excuses in all of Scripture, and it's a lie. <laughs> Aaron, however, he knows his brother Moses, and he has reason to be afraid of Moses because Moses killed an Egyptian when he was angry, when he saw him doing something that he didn't approve of. So Aaron knows his brother. But let's pick up in verse 25, chapter 32. Now, when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained him to the shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and he said, camp and said, whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. And he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let every man put on his sword on his side and go in and out from the entrance to entrance throughout the camp and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Moses has seen this sexual catastrophe in full swing and the people are unrestrained. And right in the middle of this unrestrained sexual conduct, Moses cries out, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And we don't know who all came, but we do know the sons of Levi came and gathered to Moses. Now we also know that with the children of Israel, Egyptians, a mixed multitude, came out of Egypt with them. And so there's some Egyptians that are in this crowd also. Then Moses commanded the sons of Levi, take your swords and go through the camp. And kill every man, whether he's a brother or whether he's a neighbor, that is involved in this debauchery. Kill him. And the sons of Levi killed about 3,000 people that day. 3,000 people that were out of control sexually. Verse 29. Then Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord that he may bestow on you a blessing this day, for every man has opposed his son and his brother. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin. So now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, All these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin... And then we have a break in time. That's what that little hyphen means. But if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now therefore go and lead the people to the place which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf, 
which Aaron made. Quite the scene. Civil war has sort of broke out in the camp of Israel. Moses has put down a sinful rebellion. And Moses then, he, he cries out to him, consecrate and rededicate yourselves to God so that God may bestow upon you a blessing. Now you would think that would be the last thing that God would want to do to these sinful people. But God is desiring to bless his people right after what he calls a great sin. To me, that shows how compassionate our Lord is. Moses, he doesn't make light of Israel's sin. He calls it what it is. It is a great sin. And then he says, I'm, I'm going to go before up to the Lord again and try to make atonement for your sin. And Moses he is stressed out. He is in turmoil before God because of the sin of the people. Their sin grieves Moses. Do you ever grieve over the sin of others? I grieve over my own sin. And yeah, I grieve over the sins of others. But listen to Moses here in verse 32. We can hear the desperation in his, in his voice. Moses, as Israel's leader, is not only willing to lay down his life for the people, that's a great love, but he is willing to lay down his eternal soul. Moses is willing to lay down his forever and ever. Now, I think all of us at different moments have felt desperation for the spiritual welfare of others and maybe even travailed in prayer for others, knowing that there is a battle that goes on for each and every soul, and it's a real battle. But I have to confess to you, I have never as of this day prayed and asked God to blot my name out of his book of life on behalf of anyone. I'm not there yet. <laughs> Maybe God will call me to that, but I'm not there. I can't give you my eternal soul. I'm a little too selfish. Moses, but he is so desperate before God, he's willing to be accursed of God for the atonement of the sins of Israel. That's amazing love. When anyone as a leader has that kind of heart for his people, he is definitely God's man for them. The Apostle Paul said similar words to God. So you have Paul and Moses, the only ones in Scripture, this elite group of two, <laughs> that are willing to be accursed because of their love for their fellow man, for, for their brethren. Paul's account is in Romans 9, 1 through 3. I'll read it for you. And Paul says, I tell you the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bear me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. 
For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Paul wishing. He says, I wish. I could wish. Paul is wishing and calling on God as his witness. Paul lives with bitter grief, knowing that his fellow brethren, fellow Jews, do not accept Jesus as Messiah. Don't accept him as Savior. And it's more than Paul can bear. And Paul said, if I could be accursed, I would be. I would have my name blotted out of the book of life if my brethren, my fellow Jews, would come to know Christ. And when we study the life of Paul, his one great desire was to reach the Jews, his brethren, for Christ. But you know what? God knew that. So what does God do? God calls Paul to be the apostle to who? The Gentiles. <laughs> because God knows that Paul would be totally consumed and of no value if his brethren, the Jews, don't repent. So God, out of his mercy, I think, calls Paul to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Back to Exodus. God has an answer for Moses, and allow me to paraphrase, Moses, it's good for you to intercede for the people. That's a good thing, Moses. But understand, Moses, know this, Moses, know this, Apostle Paul. We could even say this of Daniel, who repented for the, for the Jews that were in exile there in Babylon. We can even say this for parents and perhaps grandparents. When a child reaches that age of accountability, their sin is between them and God. It is not between them, parents, grandparents, and God. It is between them and God. And it's God who controls whom he will show mercy and grace to. Verse 33 tells us this. Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Moses, anyone who gets blotted out of my book of life, it's my doing, Moses, not yours. You can't go there, Moses. It's only God. All Moses can do as their leader, as a priest before God, is assure the people that God has forgiven them. That's all Moses can do. And that's the most any pastor, that's the most any leader can do to assure a repentant soul of God's forgiveness. All I can do, I can't forgive you, I can just come to you and say, if you've confessed your sin and you're sorrowful for your sin, then Jesus is faithful to forgive you. And that's the most I can do for you. I cannot forgive you. Uh, enough said on that. 
But God is faithful to forgive us if we're faithful to repent. And that's good to know. And there's a great promise of God's faithfulness to forgive us. But to be true to this text, verse 33, God reserves the right, and he will not relinquish that right to blot a name out of his book of life. God, and I think it's on a very, very rare occasion, will blot somebody out of his book of life. He holds that and reserves that right. For that person, there remains no opportunity for forgiveness. But I thank God for verse 34, because 34 kind of explains it. And we see that the heart of God and his judgment of sin is full of mercy. Verse 34 allows us to see the grace of God. God tells Moses, I will visit punishment upon Israel for their sin. That will come. But the Lord has forgave Israel. He's forgiven his people for what they did around that golden calf the one that Aaron made, this worshiping and making of a golden calf, it was a great and grievous sin before God. And God will punish Israel for that behavior. However, God does not blot out their name from the book of life. And for that, I'm glad. God's long suffering with us is tremendous. Even when we sin greatly. The worship of this golden calf was premeditated sin. Very grievous before God. It was in direct disobedience to God when God says, make no graven images. And God had just done that like 40 days prior. The people, they molded their golden calf, their substitute God. And you wonder, well, why did they make a calf? They knew who the living God was, but they wanted a God that would allow them pleasure. A God that was not so strict. A God that was not so righteous. And so they mold and make a calf of fertility. People are known for what they worship. Let me say that again. We are known for what God we worship. Whenever we observe the Muslim religion, the Muslim people, our opinion of their God appears to be very harsh. Why? Because we see their lifestyle. We see how they live, and we reflect that upon their God, Allah. And it's all because of the conduct of the Muslims. But that's a two-edged sword. What kind of image do we give off? Because we have a God full of mercy and grace. 
Is that what people see in our God? A God full of compassion? A God full of mercy and grace? I hope they do. Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, it baffles me sometimes to consider why you have chosen us to be your representatives to our friends, to our neighbors, to those around us of your great love. And Lord, I know, I know in my own life that I have sinned greatly before you, and yet I still enjoy your mercy and grace. And Lord, I want to represent you in a way that is true to your character. So by your spirit, help me, Lord, and help these, your people, live that life that reflects a loving and merciful God. Help us that way, Lord. Do that good work in our lives. Do that work by your spirit. May we be full of your Holy Spirit to give those around us hope of a loving and gracious God. Help us that way, Lord. And we pray and ask for this in Jesus' name.